Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. We will just be looking at 29 and then half of chapter 30 this morning. And we're going to try to move rather quickly. Well, before we go to the, to the word and begin studying it, would you join me in a word of prayer asking for the Lord's blessing? Father, we do indeed need you to speak this morning. For you have spoken. And by your spirit, as we study your word, you speak still. Open our ears that we may hear. For you revive our souls according to your word, Psalm 119 tells us. Oh, Father, we definitely need that work in our souls this morning. We pray that you will work in Christ's name. Amen. Genesis chapter 29. When you face a problem or a challenge, a question you and I might ask is where do we go for help? What do we do? Whose counsel do we seek? Are, are you one of those kinds of people that when there's a challenge or a problem that you just throw yourself into the problem until you figure it out? Or are you one of those people who looks it up on YouTube or Google, you know, how do I solve this problem and get some help? Or, or do you just kind of wait until some things get resolved? Are you the person who, who likes to wait or do you make quick decisions, trusting your gut? Now this morning, as we walk through our text, we are going to see the failure of this individual, Jacob. We've been tracking through the book of Genesis tracking through the life of Jacob, watching how his own deceit, his own manipulation, how his own efforts have continually failed him. And we're going to see once again how they fail him again. And yet, what we will find at the end is that God's grace is triumphant over it all. So as we come to Genesis chapter 29, follow along as I read. I'm just going to read the first 15 verses. We'll discuss it quickly. This, the, the, the text breaks down into three sections. We've got the well, then we've got the wives. And I was trying to find a W to fit with children. And so you could either go with whelps, which is kind of demeaning, or as my grandfather would say, whippersnappers. So whichever one of those you feel most comfortable choosing, uh, we get the well, the wives, the whippersnappers, whatever. This first is 15 verses takes us to this well. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field, and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they were watered, they watered the flocks. And a large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. They said, then he said to them, do you know Laban, the sons of Nahor? the son of Nahor, and they said to him, we know him. So he asked them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter, Rachel, is coming. They're in the distance. She's coming with the sheep. And he said, look, 
It's still high day. It's not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we will water the sheep. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, of his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. And this is a a kiss of greeting, okay? Kiss of greeting. And lifted up his voice and he wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these, pardon as I flip the page. So he told Laban all these things and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. What we see here is Jacob is coming from home. He's fleeing. You will remember from, J- from Esau, whom he has deceived twice. The first out of his birthright. The second out of the blessing of his father. So Jacob is, is fleeing for his life. Esau wanting to kill him. He is sent by his parents to find a wife from the family. So he is looking for a wife amongst his cousins, which... Realize is a bit icky, but this was more than what this is. This is culturally appropriate in those days. So he is going and he is looking for a wife amongst his extended family. And as he approaches Haran, you remember last two weeks ago, we looked at Jacob and he had come and had this encounter with God at Bethel. An encounter with the living God. And so he has the promises of God ringing in his mind as he approaches. And as he comes near, he sees a large stone covering a well. And there are three herds with shepherds present. And he goes, he, he wants to know, am I close to Haran? Because there's, there's no signs back then, you know. You are so many miles until take this exit and you'll be at the city you're looking for. There's nothing like that. So you get, he got, he, he's walking through a field. He sees the well, sees the shepherds. Where am I? Am I close to Haran? Yes, Haran's nearby. Do you know Nahor? Yes, we know him. In fact, you see that person coming in the distance. That is his daughter, Rachel. She's a shepherdess. She's the one who tends the sheep. And then he raises this issue of the stone and he's asking, Jacob is a man who has worked sheep. He's been a man of uh, agriculture. So he asks, why are you still here? There's only so many hours in the day. Typically you would water the sheep early so you could walk the miles where it was necessary to find them good pasture. And then you would walk the miles back to water them again at the end of the day. And then you would take them back to the the sheepfold where they would spend the night. And Jacob sees these guys here. It's getting close to noon. And he's wondering, what are you doing? Are you lazy? Why aren't you watering the sheep and going? Time is of the essence. You're, You're wasting time here. And the men give an answer. We can't do it until we're all gathered. Perhaps it's some local custom that they're observing. Perhaps the size of the stone is such that they can't move it themselves. Although 
I don't think that's, that is the case. There's three of them present. The one that they're waiting on is Rachel. I'm not sure how much strength they're expecting her to lend to this project. Whatever the case is, whether they're lazy, whether they're just not strong enough, whether it's local custom, whatever the issue is, they're waiting. When Jacob sees Rachel draw near, he sees her. Perhaps he is struck by her beauty. Perhaps he knows that now she's, she's family. He wants to show off to her, perhaps. Perhaps it is a desire to show that he is he's not a lazy guy. He's industrious. He's a hardworking person. Perhaps he wants to flex a little muscle. And he goes and he, by himself, moves the stone of his own accord. Kisses Rachel. Waters the sheep. Kisses Rachel. Tells him, tells her who he is. And she runs off to get her uncle, to get her father, his uncle Laban. We've had previous hints of Laban's character. We... Back in Genesis chapter 24, when Abraham's servant comes to get a wife for Isaac, Jacob's father. He goes to this place. He comes to Nahor and chooses Rebekah. And Laban, we are told there, he responds whenever money is on the table. So he comes running to Abraham's servant when he sees the treasure and the jewelry that is wrapped on uh, Rebekah's arms. And so it certainly seems he, he hears that now his nephew is here and, and perhaps he's expecting, huh, the last time someone came from Abraham's household, I did fairly well financially. Now I'm going to run again, hoping that there is something else to be given. But Jacob doesn't have anything. And Jacob agrees to stay this month with Laban. And in all this, there is something missing. Maybe you noticed it while we were reading. There is no mention of God anywhere. In fact, there is not going to be a mention of God up until verse 30, 31 on the lips of Leah. What we find is that Jacob, he is still living life as if he can control the outcome of every situation. If you look back in Genesis chapter 24, and you don't have to turn there, but what you will find is that there, it's, it's almost a parallel passage to what we find here. We have two men, Isaac and his son, Jacob, both who need wives to, to see the promises of God fulfilled. Both come to the same extended family unit. But Abraham's servant who is seeking that wife for Isaac. When he gets to the place where he's going, the first thing that he does is he prays that God would guide him. And when he sees the Lord answering his prayer, the first things he does twice is that he he bows down and worships. But there is no mention of prayer here. There's no recognition that God has led him. There is no praise or prayer offered up to God. There is nothing. Jacob is living, I think, like many of us are tempted to to live every day, practically blind to our own utter dependence on God, planning our days, our futures, making plans, putting things on the calendar. 
but doing it all with such little recognition of our need for the Lord, so little reference to the Lord. There is little prayer about our doctor's visits, about that home project, about whether we should take that over time or not take it, about whether we should commit our kids to that sports league or whether we should go to that school. Now, how sad it is after coming out of COVID when everything was shut down and we begin to add things again and again to our life that we do so without reference to the Lord. As if we haven't realized and and understood, if we haven't just learned how little control we have over our life. James 4.13-16 to reminds us, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go and do such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Because Jacob spends so little time in prayer, so little time recognizing his need for God to work, to show him what he should do, there is little praise. Where the servant of Abraham is able to praise the Lord, bow down and worship, Jacob experiences none of that joy. When we are little dependent on God in prayer, we will be little in joyful praise. Here we see him coming to the well, finding his own way. And now we begin to see him making a deal with Laban for a wife. And we will see that same pattern, that same self-reliance going forward. Follow along as I read from Verses 15 to 30. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? For if Jacob stayed with him and and worked with him for nothing, he would be little more than a slave. So Laban wants to give him some pay. And Laban says, tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate or weak or tender. There's different ways of translating that word and there are different ways of understanding what could be said there. It could be her, it could be the, the, the author's way of saying she has weak eyes. She has, she, she is blind or there's some other visible defect in her. It could also be that, she, that he is saying something positive. Though she had beautiful eyes or, or delicate eyes, yet her sister, we find, is beautiful in form and appearance. Whichever way we can read that, whichever way we do read that, clearly Rachel is the more striking of these two daughters. In verse 18, Jacob, we are told, loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. 
for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and he made a feast. And now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob and went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as maid. So it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. That is, according to Jacob, he, he thought he was marrying Rachel. But it is Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter, Rachel, as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. And Jacob is still living and working as if he can, through his own wisdom, through his own ingenuity, as if he can make things work on his, on his own. As if the promises of God that he will have the descent, many descendants and that the nations will be blessed through him. As if he, through his own ability, his own wisdom, his own scheming, can work that out. And this is a man who, through the art of the deal, has been able to come out on top of his brother twice. Confident that he has the answer, that he knows how to strike the right deal here. Perhaps he's arrogantly trusting himself, but he is terribly deceived. Perhaps he's deceived because there is alcohol at the wedding. Perhaps he's deceived because uh, most likely there is a thick veil in the, in the wedding service. And then in the evening she goes in to him and he does not see her, does not know her. Combination of all of these things is possible. But you notice Jacob's just, I'm sorry, Laban's justification. When asked, how could you do this to me? He's like, it's not so done in our country. We don't. We don't give the younger before the older here. And if you look at his words when he agrees to this deal with Jacob in the first place, he doesn't tell him he's going to give her first. But he deceives Jacob. He, he out-Jacobs Jacob. I'm sure that Jacob heard those words and he must have been reminded of how he deceived his older brother. He who had de deceived and tricked his father and his brother into giving him the younger son, that which culturally should have gone to the older son. I'm sure he was reminded of his sin, of his failure then. And he is seeing how what he had done is now coming back on him. But I want you to notice, like, Leah here is, is perhaps the most pitiful Maybe not pitiful the right word, but the, the one deserving of our pity. Here's a woman who is given to a man who does not want her. And for seven years, she's married to a man who only cares about her sister. Jacob, 
finds himself deceived because he gives no thought to God, asks no help from God, makes no prayer to the Lord about how he should do what he should do. He simply knows what he wants and he makes a deal to get what he wants. There's no running to the Lord. There's no prayer. There's no waiting on God. There's just this impatient arrogance that he thinks he knows what to do and when. And his plans blow up in his face. Mary's one daughter. And when that doesn't work out the way he thinks, he makes the deal to marry another. And brothers and sisters, we... We have seen this before throughout the story of the book of Genesis in the Bible. Whenever we see God's people departing from that, from that pattern, that plan of God in marriage between one man and one woman, it brings heartache and frustration and pain. And, and Jacob, wanting Rachel, ignores all of that. Brother and sister, this is why we must live in reference to God all our days. Proverbs tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. This isn't about evaluating a a possibility or a purchase. Some investment scheme some job opportunity. This isn't about just looking at it and and thinking, yeah, I I can weigh all of these options myself. I know what the future will bring. I can do it myself. The way of Jacob, the way of arrogance and pride, the way of self-independence leads only to pain. And what we see is in the process of having children, The wives, Leah and Rachel, follow in this pattern themselves. Both of whom, without reference to the Lord, both of whom are operating with the mentality that they they can manipulate the situation to get what they want. Follow along as I read from verse 31 all the way to verse 24 in chapter 30. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb But Rachel was barren. Not the first time a woman in the line of blessing is barren. We've got Sarah and then Rebecca and now Rachel. But Leah, so Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And then she stopped bearing Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who was withheld you, who was withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. 
Then she gave Bilhah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. And indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters I will, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dina. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. This is a, this is a messed up family. I mean, there's just no way of getting around that. I remember not too many years ago talking with someone who had recently become a Christian, reading the Bible through the first time, and they were getting to a chapter like this, and they asked me on Sunday, what is with these people in the Bible? I thought, they were suppo- I thought God's people were supposed to be good. What is up with them? It, there is no other word for this than dysfunction. And what you have are two wives competing against one another. Rather than wives who married to separate men, they're wives in competition. What does Leah want? She wants her husband's love. More than anything, she wants her husband's love. I think all of us can sympathize with her. How does she try to get it? Through manipulation. By by having sons which were enormously valued at that time, she's hoping that that her husband will love her. And so the first son comes, Reuben, she names him Behold a Son because she, she wants her, her husband to say, Look, you gave me a son, therefore I see you. I love you. She wants to be seen by her husband. The second son, Simeon, means that she has been heard. She, God has heard her. And she's hoping that her husband will notice her. 
And the third son, Levi, meaning attached. She's hoping that now her husband will finally be attached to her. Think about that for a moment. Every day for the rest of her life, as she calls out these children's names, she is reminded of her longing to be loved by her husband. And Jacob, reminded of his failure to love his wife. I can't help but grieve for her. What a broken situation. What a... What pain she must feel. Rachel is no better than Leah. She sees Leah having children and she's got all the love from her husband. But what she wants is children. So she goes to her husband. What's wrong with you? Give me a child. And for the first time, Jacob rightfully acknowledges he has no power over this. So the first thing that she tries to do is she tries to manipulate the situation, giving him her maid, doing exactly what Sarah did earlier to manipulate the situation. Gives him his maid, gives him her maid, so that through the maid, these children can be hers. Let's make a terrible situation worse, shall we? And then Leah, seeing what her sister is doing, now she does the same thing. When Rachel still can't win out, we have this, from our perspective, what seems like a really weird account of mandrakes. What's with mandrakes? Why are they important? In the ancient world, mandrakes were, they they were a, um, they're not the kind of plant that are found in today's books and stories. in In the ancient world, they were, they still are. They still exist today. But they're a, a, a low uh, plant on the ground. Leaves spread out on the ground. Roots are thick, almost like a potato. Um, but on top grows a fruit, something like a tomato, something like a plum. I've never tasted one. I can't give you any better description than that. I've only read about them when I'm trying to figure out what a mandrake is. They're, they're not in our local in our local Walmart. Maybe they're in yours, but I haven't found them yet. But in the ancient world, mandrakes were believed to be an aphrodisiac. The Greeks called them love apples. I don't know if they dipped them in chocolate, you know, and had them on Valentine's Day or something like that. Ooh, mandrakes. Um, but they were believed to like be you know, an aphrodisiac. More than that, they were believed that if you ate them or if you had them around, it, they helped you get pregnant. They were believed to have some kind of fertility benefit. It's junk science. It's it's old wives' tales. Reuben goes out. It's wheat harvest, so he's not planting, he's not harvesting mandrakes. But while he's out in the wheat harvest, he comes across mandrakes. He sees them. He knows what they are. He's bringing them home to his mom because he knows she's going to want them. Rachel hears about it. She goes, give, give me some of your son's mandrakes. I, I want them. And there's no kindness. There's no love lost between these sisters. Leah's, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Just like my husband will make a deal. Let's make a deal. 
I'll give you the mandrakes, the thing that will help you, that you think will help you get pregnant. I'll give you those mandrakes. You give me him for a night and, and do this. I don't know if you realize, what does that make Jacob? That he is coming home and he, in her words, she has hired him for the night. This is not a man who's in control of his life in any way. But who is it that gets pregnant? Is it Rachel with the mandrakes? No. It's Leah. Now, every step of the way, these, these sisters and Jacob, they're all trying through their own ingenuity, through every, every conceivable option, trying to manipulate the world and their circumstances. And they, they are failing to get what they desire. And all what they are getting is pain and heartache. It is only afterward that the Lord, and it is recognized by Rachel as the Lord, but the Lord grants Rachel to have children. And in her words, God has taken away my reproach. So we come to this, the end of this passage, and we we ask, what, what is it that Moses wanted us to understand? What did Moses intend for those first Israelites to understood, understand as they read this and studied it as they approached the promised land? I think the first thing that we can see is that God doesn't need our help to fulfill his promises to us. God doesn't need our assistance to fulfill his promises to us. Jacob is living in light of the promises of God. He has them. And he, through his own deal-making and his wives, through their own manipulation, are trying to get what only God can give. But this is not the gospel of the Bible. This is health and wealth gospel. If you want God's blessing, you've got to give something. You've got to do something. And then if you have enough faith, then maybe then you'll be able to get what you want. This is Benjamin Franklin religion. God helps those who helps themselves. That's not Bible. That's Benjamin Franklin. All our effort comes to nothing. Jacob's deal-making goes terribly wrong. Leah's manipulation attempts fail, and it is only after Rachel comes to see that she is helpless and absolutely dependent on God that she finally succeeds at having a child. Brother and sister in Christ, we are completely dependent on God for everything. We can do nothing without him. Second, there are always consequences for our sin. There are always consequences for our sin. Jacob the deceiver is deceived. The trickster is tricked. And there's a part of us where maybe you, like me, read this and you're thinking, yeah, he had it coming. He had this coming. And he did. But I want you to understand, Jacob goes into this, he makes a deal with Laban, he, and then on, on top of that deal, without reference to the Lord, without prayer, when it doesn't work out and he is married to Leah, rather than submitting himself to the Lord, he goes on and he marries 
Rachel. And then he goes ahead when, when there competition and anger between the two wives. He goes ahead and he marries their, their two maids. And every waking moment for the rest of his life, he is living in light of his own sin. He will not have a day of peace in this home. Brother and sister, if you and I could see the lifelong consequences of sin, of giving vent to our anger, if we could see the effects of our prayerlessness, of not gathering with God's people at church, of our vanity, of our pride, if we could see the long-term effects of pornography or lust, we would be shocked, we would be alarmed. It is, as one author has written, sin offers an oasis of pleasure, but proves to be a mirage of sorrow. Friends, the pleasures of sin are but for a moment. Its poison is felt for a lifetime. Trust that the way of God, that the timing of God, that the plan of God is better than anything you can imagine. It's better than anything you can come up with on your own. But lastly, I want you to notice how the grace of God surpasses the sin of Jacob and his wives. How the grace of God wins out. Think about this family for a moment. The results of Jacob's sin and mistakes are are permanent and lifelong. He is living every day with the consequences of his decisions. And not only him, his wives and their kids are living with the consequences of this decision. You know, family peace and harmony is never experienced. Maybe at a Christmas time or at birthday events, you experience some tension in your family gatherings. Can you imagine, you know, a Christmas celebration at this family gathering? Whoo! Just imagine that for a moment and you will be thankful no matter what situation you find yourself in. And yet what you see is that God in his mercy and grace is still at work. More than that, God in his mercy is using the sin of Jacob and these wives to fulfill his promises. Through the sin of these wives through the sin of Jacob. The 12 sons of Israel are born. The 12 tribes of Israel are founded. The nation of Israel begins to take shape. The family starts to to really increase in size. All this... God uses to fulfill the promises he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Brothers and sisters in Christ, some of our worst fears are that we will make or have made a decision that is ruining or going to ruin our lives. That it will derail us and keep us from the promises, the blessings, the happiness that that we think we ought to have. That will keep us out of God's will. 
We say or we think things like I married the wrong person or I shouldn't have chosen this job or we shouldn't have bought this home or this car or I shouldn't have incurred this debt or I wish I would have done this thing or not that thing. We can look back over our lives and have years of guilt begin to pile up. We can open those dark closets up in the, in the recesses of our heart and minds. And the skeletons just flow out. But what this passage shows us is that we can trust that God, even through our sin and our failures and mistakes, is accomplishing his purposes. And not just through our mistakes, but even through the deceit of others. Jacob is tricked by Laban. And God even used that to accomplish his good purposes. And this is what we see in the life of Leah. Notice there at the end of chapter 29, she has these four sons. Each, each of the first three she's naming because she's hungering for her, her husband's love. And finally, she has Judah. And it's almost as if she has realized that what she really needs isn't a... A change of circumstances isn't even a change in her husband, though she longs for that. What she knew she needed, what she has now come to see she needed was a change of heart. She conceived again, verse 35, and bore son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and she stopped bearing. There's no attachment, no, no, no longing. Perhaps now my husband will see her. There is simply praise. Praise.